Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Kaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter two days ago, and it was the start of earnings season last week. So some of the banks started to report. JP Morgan reported, Wells Fargo reported, Citigroup reported, and a couple of regionals. And of course, the thing that we were watching most closely for was what was going on with respect to deposits, with the financial stress that had happened in March, and how much was that impacting banks. And I think my big takeaway is that things have calmed down a lot. I think that you saw deposit inflows to some of the big banks. That wasn't surprising. You did see outflows happening, but general outflows in deposits across the banking industry. But the stress that happened in March at least has subsided for the moment. Eric, any thoughts around any of this? I agree with you. The key takeaway is, of course, that the banking crisis is a bit behind us. So I think we are looking at uh, those a bit of impact, of course, from the small banks. There's a bit of deposit flows from the small banks to the big banks. So the big banks, although they had the deposit outflows throughout the quarter, they disseminated towards the end as more inflows came in from the small banks. So most of the banks are a bit cautious from say, in saying that they got inflows from, especially the big ones, they're a bit cautious in saying that they took deposit from the small banks. But generally what the key takeaway is that all is well. Uh, nothing is too much. Nothing is happening, especially in the banking circles that is out of the norm. So I think the outflows were as expected and everything is back to normal, mostly driven by what the Fed did during the during March. So I think that's the key takeaway. But one key takeaway maybe, and that's something that also that a lot of people are paying attention to, is the CRE exposure. Any takeaway from the banks that you reported in terms of how that's going? I know so the cost of funds has gone up for a bit of some of the banks. So I think, I think CRE is one area that everyone is paying attention to. Any takeaway? Yeah, I think before we go much deeper into what banks were saying, I think we should circle up actually on the implications for the macro side and Fed policy, which are that as the banking stress subsides, the Fed is more likely to go back to a hawkish stance. And so we saw some of that. Christopher Waller was talking last week it was extremely hawkish in the way that he was speaking about the economy, feeling like we still haven't made enough progress on inflation or labor markets. And even though we're starting to see some of those, some of those pressures subside in earnings calls and seeing people starting to talk about more slowness in the economy and slowing and higher, uh, the Fed still seems to be gearing up for more interest rate increases going on this year. And so you have that dynamic. And then in addition, going back to the banking side, you have banks that have increasing cost of funds. I think everybody is looking at their deposits and seeing that interest rates on a headline basis are 4.75 to 5% and only receiving sub 1% on their deposits. And people are really starting to shift deposits um, into other, other areas. And so Schwab actually supported, reported this week, not last week, but one of the things I noticed is that they saw I think it was a 30% year-over-year decline in deposits, but then they saw a $100 billion inflow to money market funds. So there's a lot of money moving into like short-term money market funds, short-term credit, those sorts of things. Do these that? A key question maybe for you, a key question for you, perhaps, the inflation is now at 5%, I think from last week's numbers and greedy. The Fed funds rate is slightly above that. Isn't that a signal that they're about to stop soon? Or is this just a different market and this hell bent of like, putting that inflation back down from 5% to almost 2%. I don't think that it's above the 5% inflation rate. And then core inflation was uh, was higher than headline inflation. Now. And so 
the Fed still probably is going to bring above 5%, maybe not materially much more, but at least hold it there is what they're still talking about as well, while inflation remains above 5%. So to use your words, I think they are hell-bent on getting inflation back to 2%, or if there's a recession coming, maybe that changes the calculus some. But until they get back to their 2% level, I think that they're still biased towards tight, tightened credit conditions, which I think you're really starting to see slowdown this quarter. You really are a genuine slowdown in the economy. Yeah. They could tumble into recession pretty easily over the next three, six months. But and maybe an additional point was from the FOMC minutes, they actually they stuck themselves of seeing, is it a mild recession in the second half of the year? So I think like, again, it's ties back to what you're saying that maybe the Fed is actually given the subsiding risks of banking crisis and that banks are now stable and able to handle a bit, and they're a bit more prepared with for higher rates. And the fact that that's not maybe trickling down to any parts of the economy as they had hoped for the March raise, after the March raise, I think going into May, it looks like another raise is in the works. And this has to go on until the inflation actually comes down to 2%, or at least we feel like a recession is the, comes through. So I think that's why I think JP Morgan and, and Bank of America both have, as their base case, mild recession in the second half of this year. And if you look at a few of the other things that you picked up in the, the newsletter, it seems like several parts of the economy actually slowing down as they respond to the rate heights that have happened so far. Uh, so I think that's a key takeaway that to keep an eye on. But also something else that Warren Buffett also said, that there could be more bank failures. And this is sure how... What do you make of that the statement that there could be higher? I don't know. It's and, an interesting one because both Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett had kind of signaled that the banking crisis isn't over, but at the same time yeah. signaled that it was over. So it, it was a little bit surprising. But Warren Buffett, in saying that, I think was mostly just talking about, he said that the deposit outflows should be done because he would bet that nobody's going to lose money as a depositor in a bank. I think he was talking about really on the asset side of balance sheets, banks have gotten overextended in certain areas, really with respect to duration, I think. This commercial real estate thing is coming into play more and more recently, but to me, that feels more like people grasping to fight, like to justify what just happened on the banking side with something new. That's not to say that it can't spiral into something. Certainly, people could start to get concerned about commercial real estate. Certainly, delinquencies could go up. But it feels, at least to me, more like what people were talking about all day after subprime. Like there was a whole period after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, where you would see these charts of all of the all-day mortgages that are coming to and all the refinancings. And those big, bad things frequently don't materialize. So I guess I would be more surprised than not if this one did on commercial real estate. I think that one takeaway is that this is one of the most anticipated recessions ever. It's like we've been waiting for this for almost half a year or so. And of course, there's a couple of signals that also picked up in the recent. And I think one which you also emphasized a lot was CarMax. What were your t- key takeaways from their kind of assessment of what the economy is doing, apart from some of the negative trends they're seeing in the auto market? Yeah, I think it's the commentary on the consumer that CarMax is saying that stuck with me on that earnings call, which First of all, their numbers are down, like their sales are down 26%. So like big declines in comps, which you're not seeing in other parts of retail. Like those are big numbers, bigger numbers than we're seeing in other places. But then also talking about dynamics, like consumers coming into the showroom, thinking they want to buy, but then getting sticker shock, basically. Once they see what the monthly payment is going to be with interest rates and wherever car prices are right now, 
and deciding, yeah, maybe not a good time to buy a car. So that to me is again, indicative of real deterioration in consumer balance sheets and real deterioration in consumer psychology that would be easy to transfer to the rest of the economy. It just happens to be in larger ticket items right now. That's a, that's a bit concerning, given that for a long while during the pandemic, most really, really wanted to buy cars. And what was happening the, during the pandemic is that there was more demand than supply. And now the demand seems to be pulling back. And now it looks like some auto companies may actually be stuck with a bit of more inventory if consumers are actually getting that sticker shock and looking at some of the items and wondering whether they're going to be able to pay. So beyond the consumer, maybe one more thing before we close. AI and Buffett. Buffett thinks AI cannot be able to make jokes for him. I'm not sure it's an interesting perspective from him. Like, is, is this a, a, is it an incredible piece of technology, but he's not convinced or doesn't know yet whether it's AI is good or bad, so to speak. And of course, also it's an interesting perspective of him investing a lot in Japan now. He's very geared towards his investing in the top five companies. He's raised his, I think in the last three years, he's raised from 0% to 7.4% owning some of the companies there. Any takeaways from maybe the talk of Buffett on AI and also on investing in Japan? No, I think I love Warren Buffett as much as the next guy, but he's got his shtick and he sticks to it. So technology, he's never going to understand and. The U.S. is always going to keep growing and life is always better than it was. And I don't disagree with any of that, but it's striking to me the extent to which how much economic value you could extract from biomag ignorance of technology when technology has been such a huge growth driver of the economy for the last 35 years, 40 years, 50 years. It seems like a massive miss to me, but I'm not sitting in with Buffett's billions. (laughs) What do I do? And then one thing before you go, something to do with the meta. I'm surprised that meta's completely shifted now to focusing on AI. And of course, they seem to have recognized that maybe AI is bigger than the metaverse. Is that good to take away from that? That what? That AI is bigger than the metaverse? Yeah. I actually think they come together, honestly. There's a generative AI. If you want to create an immersive media experience with AI, that happens in the metaverse, right? or it can happen in the metaverse. It can really up-level the metaverse, so to speak. So I don't think that the two are totally unrelated, which means that the metaverse to me is still like an undervalued thing, probably. But I'm recognizing that I'm very wrong right now along with Zuck, so. (laughs) But since, I mean, it's the company's doing well so far, I think at least in the stock market, since it's hit some lows last year, seems like people are aligning with his vision going forward. That saying, I think it's another big week in earnings. So thanks for helping us keep the episode 100 in the, in the transcripts. Looking forward to another week in earnings. I'll see you again next week for more content from us. Bye.